going to be in Psalm 77. If you're using one of our blue Bibles, that'll be on page 279. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll cover Psalm 77 in, in a little bit. But um, growing up, I was never really one to keep like a diary or a journal. And there were a few reasons for that. Um, first, my writing is, is really terrible. Like it's not legible. So if I write something from my heart, three months later, I'll have no idea what I was going through. Uh, I don't know if anyone relates to that. You're like, man, I seem to be really upset because of my anger in the writing, but I don't know what the words are saying. My writing just looks angry, you know? And so it was never really like, useful and it stressed me out to write. I needed a phone or like a voice memo or something. And, and also I didn't really understand it. I thought that like writing in your diary or journaling was about like that girl who has a crush on a boy and doesn't want to tell anybody. So she'd write it down or that, that guy that has a secret, he can't tell anyone, but he needs to get it out somewhere. Like he'd write it in a journal or a diary. And I just never really wanted to do that. And growing up, I had a family that treated me super well. I was raised very well. I was loved well in school. I was always the shortest kid with an afro, but my sense of humor kept me around friends. So I never really felt like I needed a place to like vent or get a lot out. Um, at the time of growing up, I, I never thought I had a lot to process. Now that I look back, I definitely did. But as I grew up and got older and began to experience more of life, like pain and death and have doubts and frustrations and questions, about God, I began to realize, I think I'm understanding now why diaries and journals are a thing, right? It's like a place where you've got all this stuff inside and you may not necessarily wanna tell your parents because it's pretty crazy what you're thinking or you don't wanna tell your friends because you're either embarrassed or maybe even ashamed, but you just need a place to vent right? Like you've got a lot of hurt inside. And for me, I still hate writing and you can't, still can't read it. So it's not useful, but I found my journal uh, in a sense, my place to, to let out the stuff inside of me in my car. So like I'd hop on 440. And if you know about 440, it, it's a circle. It just runs around in circles in Nashville. So you can drive for three hours on 440 and get absolutely nowhere. And it's really perfect if you need to just let some air out. And so I'd get in my car and I'd drive down 440 and just go in circles and just pray. And there's something about when you know you have privacy, right? If you can get past your own embarrassed self-conscious that you're talking out loud, privacy is really nice, right? Because you can say things that you wouldn't say when you're praying before dinner with your family or your friends, right? And you can say things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily share with your friends. Like you just need an alone place to just like pray with God, to vent, okay? So maybe you relate to this. Are you relating with this? Do you need a place to vent? Do you write a diary journal? Okay. Um, or maybe you drive around 440 or do it in your car. Or maybe we're in Nashville, you write a song about it to get out your emotions. That would be super, super normal for you. Okay, so today we're gonna be reading from a guy who actually might have some great, 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 great grandsons and daughters in Nashville because he writes a song when he is venting about his emotions and his feelings. There's this guy named Asaph and King David, the king of Israel, hired this guy to literally make a joyful noise using instruments. And he also writes music, he writes songs. So in Psalm 77, we're gonna get this story from this guy named Asaph and he's really like venting. He's letting out some emotions. And as we read from Asaph, I think we're gonna see an honesty out of Asaph um, that, that maybe we're afraid of. Like he asks some questions that are like, Oof, I can't believe you're asking that to God, that's pretty crazy. And then we're also gonna see a faith from Asaph that might be hard for us to grab onto. And so as we dive into this passage this morning, I wanna ask two things of you. Now, these are not like the main points of the teaching. This is for our posture as we get into the teaching. 
So the two things I want to ask, one, honesty, and two, openness. I want us to come at this thing with honesty and openness. Honesty about where we're at, actually, okay? So the last thing that we need to do here is to come sit in these really super comfortable black chairs and pretend they're not super comfortable, it's a joke. Anyway, (laughs) the last thing we need is to come here and pretend, right? All we need from each other is to be our real selves, right? There's, There's plenty of time for our fake selves out in the real world, but here, let's be real, okay? And the second thing I wanna ask is that we remain open to the experience of others, open to, the, uh, to others' experience. So in my life, if you're like me, uh, you're not often open to others' experience, right? Our generation's kind of like this. We need to feel it to believe it. We need to see it, experience it, right? And so that's kind of like our independent nature. Like, I don't know if it's true. I've never experienced it. But as I was reading this passage, I kind of just thought like, I feel like we'd be fools to walk around this life acting as if no one else can speak into our reality. Other people that have walked this earth before us, who have lived full lives, who have wisdom. And so I want us to be honest about where we're at with God and open to other people's experience. So Asaph is writing a song and he seems like he's having kind of a a tough season of life. As we're reading it, I think you're gonna get this feeling that he's been crying out to God a lot and he's starting to wonder, I wonder if you're ever gonna actually answer me. Like, I wonder if that will, actually happen. And I wonder if you've ever felt that before. Like if we're, if we're bringing our real selves here this morning, have you ever been praying and being like, I'm really not sure what I'm doing right now. Like, I'm not sure you're ever going to talk back. Like this is kind of crazy. And so I want us just to be honest about that. Have we been there with God and then be open to learning from ASAP? Because we're going to see ASAP um, in a time of like brokenness and questioning, but we're also going to see the way he responds to it. And I think we have a lot to learn from him if we're open to learning from Asaph. So let's read Psalm 77. That's on page 279. If you're using one of our Bibles, I'm gonna read verses one through nine and then I'll pray uh, and then we'll just continue to, to walk through the story. It says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Listen to these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Um, I'm just gonna pray for a second. God, um, I really need your help. Um, We need your help. Um, We're going to talk through something that's, I don't know, probably going to hit close to home for a lot of us. And so I just pray, would you help us to be honest with you and with ourselves and with each other, with where we're at, like for real, Um, and also just open to hearing from your spirit and allowing you to be our teacher. I pray God for, if I had to guess, the many people who are here and just like struggling to believe and to feel and to hear from you, God. I, I don't know. I trust you in your wisdom. So I pray that you just meet us where we're at. 
in whatever way you see fit, I trust that you are wiser, that uh, you are in for what's best for us. So, um, God, I do pray that you'd restore us, encourage us. Um, I don't know. I just, I pray, God, that we wouldn't be up here playing church and doing what we think looks the best. Instead, we would just be open to your spirit. Um, Would you mold us this morning? And please help me because I need it. So in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we walk through this psalm, um, there's going to be two kind of movements that I'm going to focus on, okay? Um, this is the, these are actually like the two main points, all right? So the first one, we're going to see a time of restlessness in Asaph, okay? A time of restlessness. That's what we just read, all right? And the second part is a time of remembering, a time of remembering. So let's first zoom in on first, uh, verses 1 through 9, and we get this vivid picture of a man who's pretty restless right now. Like he's, he's frustrated. It seems like he's exhausted. He's got a lot of questions right now. And like verses one through the first half of verse two, he says, I cry aloud to God in the day of trouble. I seek the Lord. And so far we're off to a pretty good start, right? Because if you've been to church at all, you have heard that God is like the, the one to bring your troubles to. Like whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, like you've probably at some point in your life, faced a moment that was really hard and you just looked up at the sky and was like, I don't know how legit this is, but I need you, right? Like when we have troubles, we just kind of know to go to God. Now we know that as Christians, uh, we know that God is bigger than that. He redeems our souls. He's the king of the universe. But we also know God is the God to bring your troubles to, to bring your burdens to. And so that's where Asaph is. He's bringing his troubles to God, but let's keep looking. The second half of verse two and verse three says, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. And for some of us, this might be the unexpected part. It's quite the reaction to seeking God in the day of trouble. Or for some of us, it's like, yeah, I kind of expected that. And it kind of hurts to read that because we relate to it so well. Like, have you ever had that moment where you come to God? And I mean, you've searched your heart so well and you're good. You're genuine, you're coming before God, you're praying to him, you're crying out, you're asking for help, you're asking for grace, you wanna be near him and you just get nothing. And it's like you just refuse to be comforted. I remember when I was like 13, I was in Mayfield, Kentucky on Brand Street, real humble country town, proud of my roots and I'm sitting on my bed and this bed is so cool because it's got, it's this wooden frame, it's like, it weighs like 3,000 pounds but the reason is because it has a second bed underneath and you can just pull it right out. It's like the third cousin of a bunk bed. Not as cool, but it's pretty cool. Like when you have a friend come over, you're like, and he's like, are we sleeping in the same bed? I'm like, wait, just a second. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, that, that bed was there the whole time. And you just, anyway, that's a relevant detail. So I'm sitting on that bed and the bunk bed, the bottom bed is not pulled out. Anyway, I'm on the bed and I'm just looking at the ceiling and I'm 13 years old and I'm just crying and I'm like, God, please tell me if I'm saved. Like, please Will you please let me know? Because from what I understand, when life comes to a close, super important that I know you. Please let me know. I'm just crying. I'm like, I, this is so important to me. What if I die tomorrow? I don't know. Now, what I didn't need was for Larkin to show up at my house when I was 13 when I didn't know you and open the scriptures and say, hey, remember this, okay? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. If you believe in Jesus, Remember Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not works, you can't earn it. Remember what Jesus said, only access to the Father is through him. If you believe, you're saved. That's not what I needed. I wasn't looking for a theological breakdown of my salvation, right? 
What I wanted in that moment was a hug, right? I wasn't telling God to explain scripture to me. I was like, God, I want to feel you near. Can I know that you're close? And I felt my soul refusing to be comforted. Or I think about like four years ago, over four years ago, yeah. I got, uh, I got in a car accident and I got arrested for a DUI. Terrible moment, heartbreaking. And I came face to face with my own pain. Last time I drank was that night. And I just remember coming to face with my own addiction, my own immaturity, my own just lowly, dirty, gross self. And I remember driving in my car like weeks later and being like, God, I don't know who I am. Can you get in my car? I know you're invisible, but for just two seconds, show up. I need to see you. This sucks. I'm hurting. Like, I can't control me. Please come in the car. And I knew that if he actually would have physically manifested himself in shotgun, I would have lost it. I would have wrecked. It would not have been good. He would have scared. I, I even prayed that after. I was like, all right, I do want you to reveal yourself, but thank you for not like popping in my car. That would have been so crazy. But anyway, I was just praying. Like I was just like, God, please comfort me. Come on. I'm trying. Like, please. Have you ever been there? Where it's like, I'm, I just want to be comforted. Like, I just want my soul to not feel like this bottomless pit right now. I need to know that you're near me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced moments like this? Where you just weren't sure if he was going to meet you in comfort? As I read this psalm, I see Asaph. And he says his hand is stretched out without wearying. And I don't know quite what that means, but I'm pretty sure it means like he's, he's here and he's showing a physical manifestation of I am desperate. Like I'm relentlessly trying to get to you, God. Where are you? And then let's look at verses four through nine. Because he begins to ask some questions. He says, God is holding his eyelids open, but he can't speak. But when he does speak, I want us to know what comes out of his mouth. He says, let me meditate in my heart. And as he searches his heart, these are the words that come next. I sort of paraphrased, okay? Will the Lord spurn me forever and never again be favorable? Has his love stopped? Are his promises no longer valid? Has he forgotten what grace is? Has his anger with me overtaken any chance for compassion in my life? And I read those and I'm like, shoot, like, those are some pretty serious questions. Like big questions, like the kind of questions that you don't expect to find lying around in the Bible, right? That's the place that tells you God is near and he's close and he's with you. It's like, no, this is like the Bible. Wow, these are some scary, big, like really tough questions. And this is where Asaph is. Like he's really hurting. Like he's struggling to sleep. And so as Asaph experiences his soul lacking the comfort that he so desires, what does he do? He goes from seeking God to questioning the character of God, right? And that's a, a pretty natural transition, right? When, when his feelings and his logic are not pointing a certain direction, they're not pointing towards God being close and near, he begins to ask some obvious questions like, are you close? Are you actually near? And this is so often how it works. It's like, God, where are you? I'm searching. I think I'm searching as best as I know how. And a couple of days go by, a couple of weeks go by, a couple of months go by, and then you start saying, I'm not sure where you are or if you're even there. Like, God, she is dying. Like, if you don't intercede, 
it's over. We really, really need you. Or God, like, he really need, we, we need him to get this job. I don't know what next month is going to look like if he doesn't get a job. I need you to answer. And then the questions, for me at least, they transition to like, God, are you real? Am I like crazy that I'm praying right now? Am I talking to anything? Or, well, okay, I kind of believe you're real, so you can't be as gracious as I've heard. You can't be as good as I've heard. Or maybe you are, but I'm the guy that just kept getting it wrong and I professed your name and then kept sinning. And you're just kind of like, Joshua, I, like, I, I really tried here. I gave you my love and you're just, you're not welcome in the family anymore. Like, God, is that the reality? I think about the questions and the statements that I've made to God when I've been feeling this down and out. And I wonder, have you been here? Have you felt this in your heart? Have you asked questions like these? Because this is what it's like to be restless before God. And here is some good news. And I understand that everything I just covered is pretty much a downer, okay? I think I've covered real life. I think I'm touching on a lot of your stories and experiences, but it's kind of hard to talk through. But this is what it's like to be restless before God. And the good news is, if we'll let it be good news, that Asaph himself, a follower of God, someone who trusted God, someone who was in relationship with God, asked these questions. If you've ever asked those questions before, a certified biblical author has asked those questions before. So you're not alone. People who have gone before us have said this before. So I want to read verses 10 through 20, and I want us to notice the transition that's about to take place. So we're leaving behind the time of restlessness, and we're going to move into the time of remembering. It says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder at all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So verse 10 says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Asaph says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your, words of, your wonders of old. This is a really important moment because Asaph makes a decision to remember more than just his present set of circumstances, what is right in front of him. And he chooses to reflect. He chooses to reflect on the deeds of the Lord, but not only the deeds of the Lord that he's seen in his own life, but deeds of God well before he ever existed. So he's making a decision right here that is very, very crucial. And this is when the openness to learning from others, I think, is really important. He is deciding to trust in the experience of those that have gone before him, okay? He's allowing the history of Israel full access into his belief system. He is saying, my experience alone does not validate or invalidate the goodness of God. 
Rather, the collective human history is what validates or invalidates God's goodness. And so he names a few people. He names Jacob. Jacob was an Israelite. He had 12 sons. Later on, but after Jacob is long gone, Israel's gonna come into the promised land named Canaan. So God promises them a land. He said, if you're obedient, you follow me, I'm gonna give you this land, okay? When they go and conquer that land, they, make, uh, they divide it up into 12 uh, regions named after the 12 tribes of Israel, which were named after the 12 sons of Jacob. So when he says the name Jacob, he is saying a name that is a symbol of God's faithfulness, his ability to keep a covenant. And he also names Joseph. Joseph was a son of Jacob. And I'm gonna give you a very brief version of this story. But he was a son of Jacob that heard from God, got dreams from God, and his brothers hated it because Jacob really loved Joseph and his brothers were pretty jealous. And so they did the casual thing that maybe your siblings have done. They sold him as a slave and they told their dad, he's dead, okay? <laughs> so he sold his slave, he goes to Egypt, he is a slave under someone, but the, the, person who, the person's name is Potiphar, sees Joseph, sees his giftings, promotes him to be over his whole household. Then Potiphar's wife says, Joseph tried to sleep with me, that wasn't true. Potiphar believes it, Joseph thrown into prison. So, so far, Joseph, obedient, trusting in God, he's been sold a slave, now he's in prison, okay? Good life so far, and now he's in prison. And he is able to hear from God and interpret dreams. And one day the Pharaoh or the ruler over Egypt has a dream, needs someone to interpret it. He hears about this man named Joseph in prison. Joseph interprets the dream, okay? Then Joseph is promoted to second in command to Pharaoh, all right? So here's what's crazy. As he's in Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh, a famine strikes the people of Joseph's family and they don't have food. They hear that Egypt has food. They come to Egypt Joseph is the one they meet. They don't even recognize him. But because of Joseph's faithfulness, because of his obedience to God, despite his circumstances, he's able to bring his family back into the fold and rescue them from famine. And that is why the nation of Israel exists. So when you hear the name Joseph, when Asaph just throws out the name Joseph, he is throwing out the symbol of a man who did not hear God always, who found himself in prison for obedience, not, not really like a reward situation there, and he was obedient and faithful anyway. He kept the trust, he kept the faith, and he is put in second command. Because of Joseph's faithfulness, the people of God flourish. So when we hear the names Jacob and Joseph, it's two people that are just proof, evidence that God keeps his promises. He keeps his covenant. And I want us to keep in mind, Asaph did not know Joseph, and he did not know Jacob. He never met these people. Like he only heard about these people in history class. And then Asaph goes on to recap the story of the people of Israel in verses 14 or 16 through 20. That's what Asaph is doing. He's talking about Moses and Aaron when they lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. It's another sign of God's faithfulness. So just imagine Asaph is praying, arms stretched out without wearying. He's frustrated, he's discouraged, he's sad, he's angry. But then this flip of the switch happens. And I don't know if it happened in that, the same prayer, if it took six months or six years, I don't know. But at some point he chooses to remember. He begins to claim God's work. And he starts to remember God is not dead. God does not run out of grace. He does not abandon, he delivers. He does not ignore, no, he hears the cries of his people. And this remembering has him asking new questions in verse 13. He's got new statements and new questions, a new statement. Your way, O God, is holy. The new question, what God is great like our God? What a transition. As Asaph sat back and remembered the things of history, 
the things that God has done for the people that he never even met, but he chose to believe in. He stops, he stops giving statements of like frustration and anguish and starts giving statements of, of faith. And I could just see Asaph as like, he's calling out all these stories. I can just see him being like, oh my gosh. And I see him going from like kneeling to like standing and the music that he is playing getting louder. And he's just like singing and raising his hands victoriously. Like, oh my gosh, God, you are actually so good. Like you are not stuck in my, pre, my like circumstances that are right in front of my face. Like you're bigger than that. And I'll give you a backstory. So while I was in Africa, Oh, I was in Africa a couple weeks ago. And while I was there, um, I, I had a pretty crazy time in, in Uganda, okay? So there were moments where my faith was like above the rafters, you know what I'm saying? Like I was really believing in everything. I had just a faith. I saw, like, I felt like I was seeing miraculous healing. Like it was surreal. And I was like, God, oh my gosh, you're so good and so real, which is a relief. And then I, I, I had like what I would call faith fatigue, we're like a couple of days of just high faith. And then I was just like, dude, I am so tired, like so tired. And it was weird because it left me in like some crazy unbelief. Like I felt, I think some of the most alone times I've felt were in Africa, days after healing. It was surreal. And I remember, so I had this like cheesy moment where I opened the Bible. I needed to read before we went out and taught and the wind like blew a passage open. Have you ever heard someone say that? All right, well, look, it happened, okay? I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm sort of proud of it. It was pretty cool. Wind blows, Psalm 77, okay? And I read it, and I read the first, like, nine verses, and I'm like, dude, what? This dude is, like, quoting me right now. This is so crazy. And I'm like, I need to write this down in my journal. Got a journal now. Yep, big transition. So I get my journal out, and I start writing, and my pen runs out of ink, and then we've got to go teach. So I'm like, shoot, I'll finish that later. Well, I don't finish it while I'm in Africa. I come back to the States and then I read the rest of the Psalm. And I didn't know what was coming. All I knew was whoever this dude is, he feels as abandoned as I do, as alone as I do, and I'm with it. That's awesome. I wanna relate to someone in the Bible because I don't feel like I'm relating to Jesus super well right now. Um, so anyway, I'm like reading the rest of it and I see like this call to remember. I was like, man, that is so helpful. The one thing I haven't done is reflected on the good things that I've seen in my life. I certainly haven't trusted the experience of others. And I think this is so important because we as humans are just super forgetful. Like, have you ever been mad at one of your friends? What did you stop doing? Remembering it was one of your friends, tried and true. Like I've had close friends that I've been pretty aggravated about and it was as if the first four years of our friendship never happened. I was focused on that 10 minutes. Like you crossed the line, I'm angry with you, there is no compassion, we are at odds, right? That happens so easily. We, we totally throw out what's happened in the past and we just get caught up in our anger. And I think this happens with God. Like when God does things, when he does amazing things. Like we hear it, we praise God, but the minute something gets hard, we get frustrated and we call it to God and don't hear anything. It's like it kind of our world gets shaken, or at least that's me. And that's why there's a story in Joshua 4 of God leading the people of Israel. And God does this really cool thing again. He, there's this river called the Jordan River and uh, they need to cross it. And God's like, got it. And he splits the water and they walk across on dry land. And it's this crazy miracle. And God's first instructions to Joshua are send 12 people from the 12 tribes of Israel, have them gather 12 stones and basically set up a memorial. Now, why would that be God's first instruction? I think he was catching on to something about his people, right? It's like, all right, there's gonna be a time where food gets low, where war is on you, and you're gonna wonder where I am. I need you to remember that I part seas. <laughs> like, 
I need you to remember that that was water and you kind of walked across it on dry land. So build this, right? Or I think about Moses. He's going to get the 10 commandments. So the people of Israel, if you don't know the story, have fled Egypt. Another sea has been parted. God is good at parting seas and they're, they're fleeing. And Moses comes to a place where he's gonna go on top of a mountain and get the 10 commandments from God. And the people are in the valley and they're just waiting to hear the, from the voice of God. That is literally the only reason they're there is to hear from God. But they get super ADD and distracted and they build this golden image and begin to worship it. And Moses comes down and is like, what? He comes down with the 10 commandments from the holy, all creator God. And, and they've already forgotten and they're worshiping. And I think this is like just such a good picture of us now. It's so easy to look at what's right in front of our faces and forget what's happened in the past. And that's what's happened here. When I read Psalm 77, it's like reminding us, hey, we as a people, we are not different. We can all relate to people thousands of years ago. We had this short-term memory. And when I see Psalm 77, it's just this like screaming reminder. Remember, like remember the things of God. And it's this great moment where it's like, don't just remember what God has done for you. Like choose to believe in your Christian heritage. Like God has been doing things for years and years and years. And I kind of had this point this week where I had to ask myself, when things get hard, like they are right now, like they were right before this teaching as I was praying and I was saying, God, things are hard, okay? When they get hard, I kind of had to ask myself, will the empty tomb speak into my life? Will the disciples who started the church, that is why we're here right now, Will that have power and precedence into my current reality? Will the things that I've seen, God intersecting things in my path that have been just such good timing, this teaching is one of them. It's like, will that have power in my life? And before we get into a time of like participating in this together, I've got something that I want us to do as a church. I just wanted to shoot you straight. I said I wanted us to be honest about where we are. So I wanna be honest with you. 2016 has been so crazy. I feel like, and I'm being honest, so I'm gonna say some good things about me. I'm just trying to be honest, okay? I feel like I've matured, okay? I feel like I'm pursuing holiness and trying to like disregard sin better than I ever have. I feel more full of doubt and more hurt and more discouraged and angry and frustrated. Like my life has been literally like being in the deep end of the ocean, like just tossed and turned by the waves. It hasn't been easy. There's been moments where I've been praying prayers of great faith and other moments where I wasn't praying at all because I couldn't open my mouth. I was like, I don't even know how to talk your direction right now. I'm frustrated. And so I'm not sitting here cold-heartedly saying, hey, if you're frustrated and sad, why don't you just remember the things of God and cheer up? They're not saying that. But I am saying, I do think there's something for us here. I do think there's power in naming and recalling and remembering the things of God. So as we wrap up, I want to invite us to do something together. Okay, I want us all to write an extended version of Psalm 77. All right, so we've got note cards on each of the communion tables. Or if you're like me and you hate writing and you won't be able to read it three months from now, write in your phone, use the notepad. I'd encourage that um, for my sake. As we wrap up, I just want you to take this chance to just recall the things that God has done. And not just in your life, but in lives before us, in your family and in the Bible and in our Christian history. Like, what has God done to reveal himself? And so this is kind of vague. I understand. I'm like asking you to be super creative about a teaching that I've spent a week looking at and thinking about. So I'm going to give you an example of what I have. Okay, it's pretty basic. All right. So I wrote down, here's my extended version of Psalm 77. You sent your son Jesus to die for me. 
your son Jesus resurrected to give me life. You used 12 disciples to begin rescuing the world. You used the church to transform cities. You sent me to Nashville to meet friends that would change my life. You saved my life from addiction. You subtly spoke on the shore of the ocean that one night. You answered my tear-filled prayers in the cannery parking lot. You had delivered your people before I existed. I trust you to deliver me always. Okay, basic stuff. So I just wanna invite you to do this. And if you're in a place of hurt and frustration and anger, if you're really identifying with a time of restlessness, write it, write it down, okay? Get it out, all right? If you have questions or doubts or frustrations, write it. Be in that time of restlessness. I think that's important. But I also wanna encourage us to enter into a time of remembering, naming where we've seen God or at least thought we have. And if you don't even believe in God, naming some things, we're like, I mean, if he was real, that would have been the time, okay? So I really wanna invite us into this. And logistically, this is gonna be kind of crazy. Maybe, I don't want it to be too much mayhem, but if you wanna exit, exit at any time to get communion, after you're done writing your psalm, um, just, I'm sorry for making you climb over people that are still writing, it'll be okay. We're all gonna love each other and be gracious, okay? Um, but is this, I'm sorry, does this make sense, what I'm asking, just for us to write our own, is that clear? Okay, I hope so, all right. So after you're done with it, and if you find yourself in a great spot, you're like, man, I'm doing great. I know God's real, I'm walking with him closely. I was. I'm praising the Lord right now. That's great. Write all of it down because there's going to be a day where you're going to need to read your psalm. Like, you're going to need to remember it. Like, oh, that's right. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. God is so good. I'm hurting. I'm frustrated. I don't hear a thing. He's so good. He's so real. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, we collectively, if you want to get uh, paper and pen on the table or use your phone, we'll do that together. And then whenever you want to go to communion, do that. Okay? I'm going to give you guys some flexibility there. All right. Let's pray. God, I pray... Um, Please help us to be honest and open. Like, we help us to be honest about how we're feeling? If we have questions and frustrations that we've never let out, I pray, God, that they pour out today. Um, and God, I pray that we would be open to you transforming our hearts and lives. I, am, I can be pretty arrogant and only trust my own experience. And I just pray for humility across the room, that we would trust in the experience of others, that we would not be married to what is right in front of our face, that we would recall the good things. And I don't understand suffering all the time, and I don't understand sin, but I do trust God that, I mean, Jesus is so cool. Like, everything you stand for, everything you did in Jesus is just amazing. Dying for the world, resurrecting, empowering us, loving us, promising us that we'd never be able to earn it, that you just gave it to us. That rocks. And I pray, God, that you would um, give us faith to believe that across the room. That can be hard. And I just pray for your Holy Spirit to empower us right through us, God, uh, right through us. In Jesus' name, amen.